Oh yeah. You know what time it is. You know. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Open Mike Eagle. And welcome to another Secret Skin. Hi. I greet you from another lovely evening inside of my own closet. You know where I am. This is where me and you talk. On today's show, we have a conversation with the one and only John Hodgman. In the meantime, though, I have a little house cleaning to do in the closet. Want to let you guys know if you guys are uh, Netflix subscribers to check out the new series Love, produced by Judd Apatow. Um, one, because it's cool, and, and also because I have a rap song in it. One of the main characters is depicted um, as a fan of mine. That's pretty cool, so check it out. If you haven't, it is on your computer box. Wanted to take another listener question today. I want to keep this brief though. I'm going to do this magical thing where I answer three questions all from the same person. Uh, Max Harold writes Do you actually have a secretary named Gladys? Or is that just an awesome literary device? I kind of hope she's fictional. No offense, Gladys. That's question one from Max. Um, she is imaginary and for those who don't know what he's referencing on um the king cookie face remix from bus driver and um the song called one of mine on the catcher of the fade project uh mentioned having a secretary gladys and she is completely fictional but i am afraid to let her know that uh, second, he asked, what is the main sample on Wonder Girl from the Kavanaugh album? The heavily edited woman's voice is really pretty. Thank you. Um, I don't sample ever. It's illegal. So that woman's voice, that's my voice. I did all that myself. I sang it into a tuna can and then I filtered it through a coffee filter and reversed it. His third question, um, are you ever going to do the objectifying rabbit smooth falsetto flow again? It's also really pretty. Max likes pretty things. Um, you know, it's funny. I recorded that verse. That's on Milo's first album. I recorded that uh, in this self-same closet. And when I did it and I sent it to him, I was really confident about it. But then after I heard it, I was like, oh, no, I rap too quiet. It's like a shower rap voice of mine and I finally decided to debut it on that project. It's enjoyable. It was enjoyable for me. But also, like most decisions I make, very scary. So thanks, Max. You guys can send all of your questions to omebooking at gmail.com. I prefer them sent audio style. I prefer, I prefer for you them blah, 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 blah. I prefer to you say words that people understand. Um, I prefer that you speak your words into your phone or something and send me the voice memo. I like having a conversation with you that I can control. Oh, boy. 
Got some dates coming up. Some things I need to plug. March 12th, I'm going to be in Las Vegas at the Neon Reverb Festival with Sage Francis and Wheelchair Sports Camp and the Sports Camp and the Melvins and a bunch of other folks. It's March 12th, Saturday at the Neon Reverb Festival. Then uh, I'm going to be in South by Southwest starting with the show with the Onions AV Club on that Monday. And in the Wichita Records Showcase on the 16th, both of those are at the Barracuda. I believe that place had another name, but now it's known as the Barracuda. Barracuda. Then in uh, April, April 13th, I'm going to be in New York City with Lush Life at Baby's All Right. Haven't been back to New York in a while, so I really look forward to the show. And I want everybody on the Atlantic Coast to be there. Then on the 23rd of March, I'm in Norman, Oklahoma at the Norman Music Fest. Norman. Gonna be in Oklahoma. Oh my gosh. Just me and the dust and the Sooners and Jim Ross. None of them are gonna be there, just me. But it should be fun. On this episode of the show, we have a talk with John Hodgman. It was great. We recorded it uh, in the green room of his secret show. If you ever get a chance to go to a secret show, go to it. But it's hard to go to it because it's a secret. Um. Hodgman, he's amazing. What can I say about him? Um, author, great human, actor, humorist. Uh, our conversation unfolds kind of like his origin story, and it's really cool because he uh, went about most of his early adult life as an author and thought being an author was all he would ever be. Not that that's not an incredible thing to be, but. He didn't see himself doing all the awesome things he's gotten to do from being on a daily show to being in movies, being on shows like Bored to Death, to being the Macintosh. I mean, uh, he was the PC. Justin Long was the Mac. But John Hodgman was awesome in those commercials, too. So this is me talking to him in the green room. There's a secret radio hour. There's a secret radio hour, and this is it.
Can I get a little level from you? We are recording now. We're rolling. Hey, this is John Hodgman, and this is my level. It is. Do you You're get on e- my level? Do you, get, do you get excited, John? Do you do excited things? What happens when you get excited? What does it sound like? I very rarely get excited. <laughs> <laughs> I love the thoughtful pause. I, I love that. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when, like the last time I got really excited. I'm. I keep it kind of even. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, Even yeah, yeah. trending down. Wow. You know, like, wow. Well, this is terrible. <laughs> Hi, I'm John Hodgman. Are you still banking in the Cayman Islands or the Cook Islands? Sure, those other islands say they turn a blind eye to where your money comes from, but on the Hodge Islands, we've literally blinded our bank workers <laughs> with non-disclosure agreements and bleach. Open an account now and we'll even send you pictures of the roads and schools that your untaxed dollars are no longer funding. It doesn't matter what your business is, from hydrofracking blood diamonds to human centipeding to the underground ivory dildo trade. We want to stash your cash. The First National Bank of Hodge Islands is vulnerable to capsizing, festive winds, scum, both moral and literal, and John Hodgman, just taking your money and putting it in the Cook Islands anyway. The Hodge Islands are not actually islands. They are shipping pallets floating in the Guanas Canal. Do not consult your financial advisor before calling. It's interesting. Is that infrequent that you can, like, think back to a time when you were excited it makes it sound like it, it didn't happen today or yesterday or anything like was that i i was excited today because okay, i well yeah i mean i was excited today because i i got asked to do two episodes of a of a television show which is always exciting that is and i had to go to the table read and the table read is always good because you get to meet the actors and you know read through the script right. and then they have snacks there usually <laughs> snacks are fun and it, you know it's so it's so exciting because i don't get to do as much acting as I would like. And as of today, it is now, I think, 48 hours or so since I learned that the TV show Married that I had a role on was canceled. I did saw, I saw that you had tweeted that. And yeah. It, and I've never watched that show, so I'm part of the problem. No, you're, I mean, no, you're a human. Not but, a lot of humans did. But it did, it did make me uniquely sad to read that. Oh, yeah, like, me too. Oh. Well, here's the thing. I think what it brought into focus is that there's too much enter- goddamn entertainment. Is it? Yeah, too you can't. Much? Well, look at look at. I mean, you know, it was bad enough when there were cable channels. Now cable every channels. internet website is commissioning original content. So why are there constantly more channels being added if there's already too much entertainment? Well, because everyone wants to be on television. You know, everyone wants to make a TV show. I see. It's like why? I mean, why are there so many podcasts in the world? <laughs> <laughs> no, no offense. Well, my argument there would be. It doesn't really cost anything to make a podcast. Well, that's right. It just, uh, you know, just someone with, with the initiative to take the time and put yeah. the equipment together and make a thing, yeah. right? And upload it somewhere. We had a television. I imagine even ha- just having a cable station costs a certain amount of yeah, money. Yeah, but you don't need to have a cable station anymore. Do you but, know what I mean? But and but, and, and television, the, co- the, the cost of making, you know, TV which you can't even call TV anymore because most of it isn't even on television. Do you know what I mean? But the costs, it's the same sort of plummeting technology costs that made it possible for everyone in the world to have a public radio show. Do you know what I mean? And who would have thought there would be that many people (laughs) who wanted to be Terry Gross? Speaking speaking of who would have thought, did you imagine that you would be doing table reads and acting on television shows? No, of course not. So how did that happen? Well... I was, and I guess I am still a writer, and I wrote for magazines, and then I wrote humor for Dave Eggers' McSweeney's website mm-hmm. and journal of humor and other things, and um, 
even saying that betrays my McSweeney's DNA of humor and other things. It's such a McSweeney's <laughs> thing to say. Of course, now I'm, I'm staring down the barrel of the millennial rifle aimed at my head. And at the back of that rifle is a bullet, which is someone in their 20s saying, what's McSweeney's? Right, of course. Do you know what I mean? Which of just course. happened to me. I only, and it, of course, it's nothing to do with age because I'm not a millennial at all. No. But only barely know what McSweeney's is. Sure. And the only reason yeah. that I know what McSweeney's is. It's because of your friends and mine, they might be giants. They might be giants. That's the only reason I have any idea what that is. We're dropping so many subjects down that we're going to have to pick up in a second. <laughs> we're working well, on Let me just work in- back to excitement. Yes. Okay. Excitement. Yes. Yeah, so I was excited to go to the table read. What also? Debilitating terror and fear. Of course. Of because course. that goes hand in hand with excitement. And if you, um, if, you know, if you're lucky enough to be someone who works in the creative world, you constantly are doing new things, and those new things are terrifying. And that's what's exciting, of course. Are most things that you do somewhat terrifying? Well, you, sure. I mean, by design, mm-hmm. you know, by design. You know, it was pretty darn comfortable in my life when I was making ads for Apple Computer and all my bills were paid. Right. And I was happily dipping into and out of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart was a legendary comedy show that I was just grateful to have a small part in. Mm -hmm. I could have happily gone on that way for many more years (laughs) than it was given to me. But eventually I would reach a point if, you know, where where comfort works against you. Do you know what I mean? And and consequently, if you're in a really comfortable position, you should feel very, very lucky. But then you start then you from a creative point of view, you start wandering. I'm interested in this, though, because I imagine that doing both the Daily Show, maybe the Daily Show more so and doing the Apple computer ads are both at some point also terrifying. Yeah. Well, I mean, so this goes to your point. So here, just quick resume. I worked in book publishing. I was a literary agent. I didn't I realized I didn't want to do that. I wanted to create whatever it was I was going to do. I wasn't going to write novels because that takes a level of patience and diligence and, frankly, narcissism that not even I have. <laughs> patience and diligence I certainly don't have, but like, you really need to be someone who believes the world needs to hear your hundreds of thousands of words, and that's never been... I, I like a few, you know, a few incomplete sentences, and I'm out. Right. Started writing humor for McSweeney's, enjoyed it. Um, wrote a book of weird esoteric humor called the areas of my expertise, which is a book of fake trivia, went on the daily show to promote it as a guest and then got invited back to be a do comedy on the show. And that felt impossible right. to me. I, yeah. I'm so interested in that transition psychologically. Yeah. Well, it, it, it was so implausible. I love movies and I love TV. I love culture. So I had a lot of things that I loved. Right. But I had actually just reached a point in my life where I would be watching, say, the Golden Globes. And and I've never been to the Golden Globes still. But like I would say, I would watch the Golden Globes and see all those people having a good time and realize, oh, that's never going to happen for me. I'm not going to be in a movie or a TV show or have anything to do with that world. I've made my choice. And now I'm in my mid-30s. And also, I think I realized on an instinctive level, I was not, I was not on camera material because... I had a, a weird man, baby round face and a lazy <laughs> eye. You know. So the, that I would be asked to go on the daily show, which was a show that I loved was profoundly weird. And what can you do, but say yes, you know, you want to say no, but you have to say yes. Of course. Yeah. There's, there's a fear that's going to, you know, the implausibility is going to be some sort of obstacle. 
But what do you think even led them to ask you, someone who hadn't done this this thing um, professionally, it had zero experience, I imagine, before going on this show as a guest? Well, I'm just, in, I'm incredibly funny and perhaps America's most talented entertainer. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you left that part out of the resume. That's that's why. That's well, why. I'm, it went unsafe. Are you familiar so at all it. with my work? <laughs> nice to see you, my friend. Good evening. I sense, if I may, and I don't mean to embarrass you, no. I sense Hodgman mania. Uh, it's, it's actually pronounced Hodgmania. Hodgmania. <laughs> Just... The book is called The Areas of My Expertise. That is correct. It is very funny. Thank you very much. And let me ask you this. Yes. What are, if I may, the areas of your expertise? <laughs> Uh, the book covers matters historical, matters literary, matters cryptozoological, <laughs> hobo matters, uh, food, drink, and cheese, which is a kind of food. May I stop you? <laughs> you mentioned hobo matters. <clears throat> yes. A, a great portion of my book is dedicated to the history of the hobos in the United States. <laughs> Uh, their boxcar hopping, no pants changing ways. What happened was I had the, the confidence of, of the naive. Mm, Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I was really into these weird lists of fake trivia and these phony history stories that I was telling about the nine U.S. presidents who had hooks for hands. And, <laughs> you know, FDR had a hook for a hand, but no one ever talked about it. They only photographed him from the wrist up. And that's, you know, so no one knew, you know. But I love that kind of weird esoteric stuff. And I was getting a lot of very positive feedback from the 2,000 to 2,500 largely college-educated Caucasian people who read McSweeney's at the time. It's base. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know yet that that wasn't the whole world. Do you know what I mean? So I felt like, yeah, get ready for some phony hobo lord, John Stewart. And luckily, he loves all, all kinds of weird American history. Okay. So I don't know. He and the executive producer at the time was Ben Carlin, who was my entree to the show because okay. he had seen me perform in spaces um, in Brooklyn, uh, largely, I, I hosted a sort of literary variety show, even when I was still just freelance writing and, sure. and at a place called Galapagos in Williamsburg that isn't there anymore, much like Williamsburg. Hmm. And, I, you know, I just had a we had a good time. How long did it take for it to go from being terrifying to comfortable? Well, with The Daily Show, it didn't ever get comfortable. Okay. Be and the reason is that I was and am still with Trevor, a contributor and not correspondent. So that means not very frequently on camera, is that? Well, it means that I'm not employed by the show. Okay, I see. If you hear anything in the background, everybody, we're talking here backstage at the Bell House, uh, a performance venue in Brooklyn, New York. And so if you hear anything, this is not the regular controlled studio environment. That is secret skin. That is secret skin, exactly. We should have just lied and said we're at the zoo or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Sorry. Let's, let's roll it back. Tell play, your editor. Cut that part out. Tell yeah. your editor. Uh, we're at the zoo. <laughs> the zoo. We're at the National Zoo uh, trying to impregnate pandas. Yes. Not us, but, you know, we're not trying to create human-panda hybrids. We're, we're trying to help. Never mind. Help them along. 
Yeah. I get it. What was the question? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. terrifying oh, yeah. to comfortable. Oh, yeah. So I, I would only bop into The Daily Show. Initially, it was like every other week for a long time. And then it was like once a month. So I never got to the point, even after almost 10 years, where I felt like, oh, yeah, I, I own this place. Right. I would say probably about four years ago or so, I started to feel much more confident in terms of working with the writers and taking the material that they generated that was great and also feeling confident saying, no, I think this is better or confident enough to say it doesn't get better than what you've written. And I've, right. I'm grateful that you're here because there's a lot of collaboration that would go on all the time. And, and so there was, even for all of those years, I wasn't an employee of the show. So the correspondents go there every day. That's their job, whether they're working that night or not, whether they're doing something or not. But the contributors, me and Lewis Black and for a long time, Larry Wilmore, till he got his new show, mm -hmm. you know, we would only come in when our schedules would allow and would do sort of special feature pieces. Do you know what I mean? So even on the night of the last Jon Stewart episode, right. I was walking in there going, well, that one was an unusual one Had to be. because that was such a strange night to begin with. But, Which is epic. But I mean, even the, like, say the time before that, when I had been there as often you know, far more often than many people had been. And I was st still walking in there going, I can't believe I get to do this. Mm. And, you know, I still can't believe that I got to. The Apple ads were different only because, yeah, that was utterly terrifying. And again, it happened very quickly after The Daily Show. They asked me into audition. I thought it would be funny to audition for a thing that I would never get so I could tell the story how I didn't get that part. But then I got the part and I ruined the story. So sorry. <laughs> And that was the first time I'd ever acted, acted on camera, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was so terrified once they asked me to do it that I did say no initially. Like, wow. Well, they wanted me to come in for another round of auditions and fly. And we had a young daughter at the time who's now older, mm -hmm. right? That's how that's what happens. Children grow up, but we stay the same age. Of course. And are immortal, right? But, uh, you know, I was like, I can't fly to L.A., tomorrow to go for a third audition. And I was, I was talking to my agent who's still my agent and my friend. I'm like, you know what? We need to have a reality check here mm -hmm. because I'm, I guess at that time I was 35 years old and I have a family and we don't have a whole lot of childcare. Like I have to take my daughter to nursery school tomorrow morning. So I'm excited and thrilled that I'm on this daily show by accident, but let's face it. It's an accident. None of this is real. Mm -hmm. It will not last. And I'm not a 22-year-old actor who can drop everything to go across the country. So it's fun for me, and it, I guess it was fun for them <laughs> to have me on their list of possibilities. I can get why that that seemed right, but <laughs> let's just be honest. We're wasting everybody's time. Like, we're all wasting our time here, so no, I won't. And then, and then it, they came back and they said, well, what if we gave you the job? And I'm like... Oh, God damn it. Okay, <laughs> fine. And it was like, you know, I've tried to pull that negotiation many times since. And you know what I've discovered most of the time? If you say, oh, no, no, thank you. They go, all right, we'll find someone else. Yeah. But in this case, it's just one of those things where, you know, there are opportunities that come up in your life, whether you're in, in the creative arts or not, that can seem profoundly terrifyingly disruptive and there will be disruptive you know what i mean a new job or a new a new relationship or something happens that you have an opportunity to do something and it's gonna it's gonna just mess up your routine like i won't be able to eat breakfast at the same time if i do this yeah, and, and you can almost you can usually talk yourself into saying no to that opportunity even if it's just like i won't be able to get my favorite brand of soda in that state mm -hmm.
I'll tell you this. I had a, I had two television appearances I made this year, and both of them, when the person reached out to me, I initially told them no because I had a flight book somewhere yeah. for when this taping needed to happen. Right. And both times, I'm just like casually telling my manager everything is going. He's like, dude, you can change the flight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. You know? And that happens all the time. And it's that just happened to me where it's like, you can have an opportunity, but you have to change your flight. And for some reason, changing the flight just seems impossible. Your manager understands it. But right. when it's your, when you've booked the ticket, there's something in you that, or maybe it's just in me that feels like, no, I've made a solemn promise to, <laughs> to Delta Airlines. It's gone you, don't, you don't understand. I'm sky priority. I can't, I have a, I have something to fulfill My there and I can't, fall apart. I can't change the flight. What if they get mad at me? What if I have to spend an extra hundred dollars or something? And for what? An opportunity to whatever it was. So it increased my profile by being on some, a show that people watch rather than being in my are house. You, are you well, one was uh, Hannibal Burris's show, yeah. of course, which was huge for me. It's my first television appearance, and I'm not like just on there painting walls or something. It's got me performing my own music yeah. on a television show. And you said no because you didn't want to change the I, flight? <laughs> I didn't say straight up no. What I said was, oh, I'm not going to be in town that day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because right. in my mind, flight means out right. of town means can't right. do it. Right. You know. And but you did do it. Yeah, I did do it. Yeah, of course. I did. I'm yeah, really absolutely. glad you did. I'm glad I did as well. Has it aired? It did. It aired. It was like the third or fourth episode of his show. Oh, so I missed that one. This is Hannibal's brilliant show. Why? Yes. yes. With Hannibal um, Burris. And you guys are old pals. We are. We yeah. went to college together. Yeah. And the other one is the Eric Andre show, but that hasn't aired yet. I mean, you know, things that are challenges like that. Things that are to use a cliche outside of your comfort zone, things that are, that are new for you. Yeah. You'll find any excuse not to do that. But it'll sound really, I'll tell you though. I'll tell you what though, John, I gotta say both very much things that I wanted to do. Sure. Eric Andre show. I had been campaigning to get on since it began. Yeah. (laughs) Like sending him all sorts of strange emails. Like, come on, dude, at this point, if you're not going to let me on, I'm just going to have to tell people it's because you're racist. Sure. <laughs> just like whatever I could, you know, just to stay on his radar or whatever. But yeah, when it came down to it, flight book can't do it. You know? Yeah. But it's, you know, and it's the same thing. It's like, it was voluntary for me to go into this table read. So mm-hmm. a table read is when the entire cast of a TV show or a movie gets together and reads through the script so that the producers and the director and the, and the writers can all hear it and make adjustments before they film it. It's one of the last things you do before you film a script. And, Particularly with a TV show, one that that cranks out a lot of episodes, it's a real nothing burger of a task. Like it's done during lunch when you're shooting another episode and you get through it and it's totally voluntary. Like for me, uh, who's just going to be guesting on two episodes of this TV show, they're like, if you could possibly do it, that would be great. But don't worry. And my my first thought was, okay, then no. I don't want no no thank you one because I have this show that we're going to do here tonight at the Bell House right. and then two it was just like uh, something something new like something I've never done before I don't know any of the members of this cast it's a completely new show for me it's a little bit scary that I've been asked to do it so why not avoid it if I can but and then and that that became the reason why I sh- I have to do it now was that that just a question of just um, avoiding a discomfort of having a social experience with these new people that- yeah but that was precisely you okay. know it's like what if they don't like me right. you know what I mean like right. just all of that internal anxiety stuff but then I realized no the reason to do it is so that 
when you go in to the show on Monday, they will have seen you. Right. You will have seen them. There will be some some sort of rapport. Yeah. And right. and also, I feel like it shows respect for these people who are who have given me this opportunity. Do you know what I mean? So, I'm I'm going to interject an example of what we're talking about great. based on two people who are not here at all. Yeah. That's uh, my favorite kind uh, of people. This is good. It's no. very, very, very relevant. Let's that talk way. about them. Um, Those <laughs> did dummies. you hear when um, when our president was on Mark Marin's podcast? Did you hear that? You did not. No, I very re- interesting. That you did not. I mean, you know, whatever. It's not life or death. We're all. You know, I mean, I love good. Mark, Mark is a friend, and and uh, and and I admire him very much, and I listen to his podcast you, all I the want, time. I want to let all the listeners know you turn beet red. I know. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I really feel like caught with my pants down. No, I I uh, I also am not wearing any pants. <laughs> uh, I uh, I I don't know why. I I mean, it happened. And all of a sudden, it had happened. Right. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And I re- I'm like, oh my god, Mark! Mark got the president on his podcast in his garage. This is a, a great day for Mark. It's a great day for America. It's a great day for podcasting. Right. And then I read all the stuff from it and all the coverage of it and everything sure. else. And then it was one of those things where I felt like I convinced myself I had. You got it. it. You got it. You know. Yeah. And then <laughs> there was something. I guess there was some aspect of. Maybe a little bit of jealousy. Do you know oh, what I, I mean? Oh, I get that all the time. I know exactly what that is. And then on an honest level, it's just like there's a lot out there. And yeah. by the next day, there was something else sure. I was supposed to listen to. Well, whether you heard it or not, actually doesn't matter for the example. Yeah, I think a lot of humans heard it. Of and, course. And I think it really doesn't matter if I heard it or not <laughs> now, in the grand scheme of things. And even in but this I specific am, But I'm embarrassed and I'm sorry, Mark. <laughs> I'll make but sure. Mark this. doesn't need me. Nor, and, and nor... Does the president? I've met the president of the United States. Did you really? Yeah, I That's spoke awesome. at the radio and television correspondence oh, dinner. Right. Okay. And we did the Vulcan salute together. That's and awesome. It was incredible, and I was just like, "We are now we're friends. I better be getting some calls." Look at your life. But he never called me. The president never called me. I'm sorry. He's never called me either. If that makes you feel any better. No, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. So, but the, the, right, the so, example was this. Right. Like immediately after the president got up, got in a helicopter and left. Right. Mark and his producer editor for the podcast did a follow up episode immediately. Just talking about how this whole thing with the president came to be. And in it, Mark's producer tells this amazing story of they've been going back and forth with dates for this thing for like a year. Right. And they finally had a date locked in. um, And then something happened where the White House needed to move it to like the next week. Yeah. And Mark was like, no, I can't do that. I my, That's my vacation. I already have my ticket to Hawaii or whatever it was. Yeah. And the editor, like, it was a beautiful example of, like, why crazy people like us yeah. need sane people around them. Because yeah. he heard him say that, let it happen, let right. him process it, and told him, you can change your vacation. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And you know, that, like, I'm a little surprised Mark didn't hold the line because Mark, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, a, because, yeah, you, and you know, bo- both because night. Mark is a tough dude, but also because there's a moment where you want to say, well, wait a minute, I'm a human too, and I get to take vacation, don't I? I get to be a human being, don't I? Absolutely. But, but I'm certain that he get, he gets to yet and still uh, decide when his vacation well, the is. Well, tr- the truth of the matter is if you don't make those occasional surrenders to opportunity. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Then 
he'll be able to take a better vacation now that he's interviewed the president. <laughs> that's, Do you know what I mean? Like, and that's, that's everything that his companion was saying. Yeah. And it just, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Like, that's why I have, that's why I need a manager. Right. Like, not even, you know, like, right. not even why it's beneficial to have one. That's why I need one. Because right. I'll say all type of crazy things in response to opportunities based on fear, based on flights, yeah. based on all sorts of crazy person logic. Right. You know? Right. I see, uh, I see you, my friend, are ready for the summer. Oh, I sure am, John. I'm going out to Monaco tonight. I'm going to have light shined on my eyes and on my nose. So no stay-at-home vacation for you, then? No, John, because I am incredibly wealthy. <laughs> but those who are not on television are really struggling these days, and that's why I've written my new book, Hodgman's Holiday Guide to Never Leaving Your Own Home. <laughs> you like that, John? I made that up. Holiday. It's mine. Holiday. I think I think they're going with staycation. I think that's the. Oh no no that's terrible. Holiday is much better. You just got through doing a tour. Me and Jordan Klepper of the Daily Show. Nice. Co-headlining. Boy oh boy, are those college students going to be into the white privilege mustache comedy <laughs> of John Hodgman? Here comes their dad to, to tell stories about Maine or whatever. <laughs> You know, I, so the show that I just did is called Vacation Land, right. and it's and it's a lot of it is about being from New England, which I am. I'm right. from Brookline, Massachusetts, which is a pretty affluent suburb of Boston. Okay. But then Western, mostly it's about spending time in Western Massachusetts, which is really rural, um, where my wife and I have a house that used to belong to my mom before mm. she passed away. And then spending time up in Maine, which is not my world at all, but my wife's world where she has family and, and just sort of the culture shock of being someone from Brookline and then Brooklyn, New York, and then going to Brooklyn, Maine, which is a real place and a really fun and weird place. But, you know, I, here I am just happily telling these personal comedy stories yeah. wherever I can. And I was with my friend, uh, John Roderick, the great musician and lead singer of the long winters and a very fine storyteller and writer in his own part. And we would travel around from time to time and perform together. And I would tell one or two stories of Maine. And then John got up to sing a couple songs. And one, one night he just gets up and goes, well, I hope you've all enjoyed the white privilege comedy of John Hodgman. <laughs> and I was just utterly gutted. And I'm like, yeah, Ooh. I mean, cause that's what privilege is, right? You don't realize you have exactly it. until, until someone, someone calls, calls it out. you out. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm really glad too because it really helped me refocus the whole show. Well, and how did you adjust it? In two ways. One, you know, I was reaching a point in the story where I was talking about all the culture shock of rural Western Massachusetts from the point of view of, you know, and the difficulty of, you know, first adapting to having a home hmm. as opposed to an apartment. Right. And, you know, New York city like a lot of cities keeps you a perpetual adolescent right you know and and maybe you're a willing accomplice in that sure you don't have to drive you know what i mean you don't have to do yard work you don't have to do yard work if something goes wrong in your apartment i mean it's just basically a glorified dorm room right if something goes wrong you just call some surrogate dad to take care of it you know what i mean we have a freestanding home like we learned a lot we i'm like i learned for example if your home is heated by propane that propane doesn't appear by magic you gotta like, go pick that stuff up somewhere yeah or you have to call the man to bring it <laughs> and if you don't call the man the man won't come wow and then your house will be cold and dark 
when you arrive and it'll <laughs> smell like garbage and it'll smell like garbage because propane smells like garbage mm. and propane smells like garbage. The man told me this. He said, propane has no smell. We give propane the smell of rotting garbage so that when you're running low, if you've forgotten to call me, then you will smell the rotting garbage. What is the mechanism by which this odor is added is very interesting to there me. Are some, there are many mysteries in life. Eyedroppers just full of, I don't full know of how, garbage smell. I don't know how they give propane a smell, and I don't know why they give it such a mean smell, <laughs> other than to say this is propane's way of telling you you're human garbage oh and you gosh. don't deserve to be warm. But then the next part of the story was all about how, you know, my wife really wanted to spend more time in Maine, which is a different part of New England, even more rural, more remote, and, and certainly culturally very weird. And it's full of angry people. I didn't know that. I've, well, only, I've only been to Portland, Maine once. Sure. Yeah. I've only been to Portland, Maine once. And I've been to all kinds of different parts of Maine. But okay. the first time I was in Portland, I did a show in Portland. And I was really nervous about how the people in Maine would take the show. But then I realized most of the people in Portland are. They're either not from Maine because they've moved there from Boston because it's affordable or they're from Maine, but they don't have it in them to leave Maine. So mm. they go to the next best thing, this imitation. I mean, it's barely even an imitation Boston. It's more like an imitation Northampton, Massachusetts. <laughs> I love, I love Portland and I had some of the best food in the world there. They're not lying. It's an amazing food town, but Maine has a lot of class issues going on in it, but not a lot of uh, racial issues. Just, there's only one race. <laughs> this is the most Caucasian place I had ever been in I, my life. You know, I have a, I have a uh, very close rapper friend yeah. uh, whose mom lives in Portland. And yeah. she's like black woman in Portland. Like, that's like her identity. She blogs, you know, all of that. I follow her. Yes. Black girl in Maine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, my buddy Milo's mom. I love her. Maybe you retweeted her or something? Very likely. Very Somehow likely. I, I saw her. And the moment I saw black woman in Maine, I remember this black woman in Maine. It is black, black girl in Maine. Black like girl said, in yeah. Maine. And having been to Maine, I'm like, yeah, this I need to follow because, <laughs> you know, I would occasionally see a person of color in Maine over the summer. And it was almost routinely a dude or a woman alone walking by the side of the road. Mm. Always wanted to go up and say, are you OK? Are you OK? Has something has some deranged millionaire abducted you for a <laughs> for, for a weird game and you've escaped? Right, escaped. Like, why else would you what are you getting out of this being in in Maine? But, you know, there is a lot of class at work in Maine because it's a very, very poor state. These year-round residents are summertime contact with these extraordinarily wealthy other white people who come there and start forcing them to make lobster rolls for them. Right. And, you know, the year-round residents are like, this is our summer, too. We're selling you fudge. Do you know what I mean? At this roadside stand. It's voluntary. We're in on the deal. We're taking your money to heat our homes. It also, we like selling you fudge because it, it, it's sort of funny to watch you eat something that looks like shit. <laughs> but, you know, we would rather not. And it's hard not to be resentful. And, you know, one of the stories I tell is about this roadside fudge stand called Perry's Nuthouse in Belfast, Maine, which is a really weird place. That is a crazy name. Yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an old timey roadside lunatic asylum like I thought it would be. They actually <laughs> sell nuts there and fudge. Ugh disgusting <laughs> and they had uh, a sign on the door written an angry sharpie Ooh. no bathroom mm -hmm. and i was like that's a lie i know that's a lie i've used that bathroom before <laughs> like it's a building of course there's a bathroom <laughs> right the whole reason this place exists you know it was built in 1927 the whole reason it existed was probably to provide a bathroom to weary travels and lure them in 
and then with sell the bathroom and then sell them fudge. Right. It's a fudge based economy. There if you is. know what I'm saying. Fudge is disgusting is my point. I, yeah. I got, I've gathered this year, but fudge you issue. know what it should say was we have a bathroom, but you can't you use cannot it. You cannot use it. It's not for you because we hate you. <laughs> <laughs> we would rather your four year old daughter vomit on our steps than use our bathroom, which is something that my wife observed. Oh. A young woman was comforting her four year old daughter who was vomiting on the steps of Perry's nut house underneath the sign that said no bathroom. And it was like Perry's nut house. You could just hear the whole house go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Vomit on me. That'll show you. So what I thought was the central line of the show was Maine is called vacation land, but what you should really have on its license plate is Maine putting the spite in hospitality since 1820, mm. which is a pretty funny line. But then as I was telling these stories, it wasn't until Roderick called me out that I realized, Oh yeah, there's comes a point in this show where I talk about how we bought a house in Maine just recently. Right. And it was never really working in the show until I heard John Roderick say that about me. And then I was able to say to the audience at that point, I just take that silence and say, uh, so you've figured out the crux of my story, which is <laughs> I have two summer homes. <laughs> and then there would be uncomfortable silence. And then I would say, are you enjoying my relatable comedy show? <laughs> it was the, and, you know, suddenly everything was forgiven. Not all the time. It wasn't always forgiven. Some people never forgave me. But what it really brought to light was that the show is really about admitting who, who you are mm -hmm. at different stages of your life. And we spend a lot of time pretending to be something that we're not. It's a lot of time in our 30s trying to be 20 still or in yeah, our 20s. Absolutely. And a lot of time in our 40s, trying to be, 30s trying to be in still, our 20s, yeah. still no, actually, right, or whatever, actually, you know what I mean? Like, right. And then we spend an awful lot of time, even in our 20s, just pretending to some kind of authenticity or some kind of cool, trying to be relevant and interesting and meaningful, usually by buying stuff. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. By buying clothes or aligning ourselves with a certain kind of buying culture music. or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but every now and then you have these, these, uh, moments of real clarity it's like no no this is this is who i am this is who i am this is where i'm from and i can't apologize for it it's just what happened you know but i can be aware of it and try to do right in the world as a result are you in a space now where you're very comfortable with who you are i'm never very comfortable of in any way okay. but yeah yeah i mean yeah i think i think so Taking this show on the road was challenging because I'm, you know, I'm older now than when I started sort of, I guess, being a comedian. I always, I always wrote humor and, you know, that's a different game. You know, a comedy is trying to provoke a certain mysterious, very poorly understood and specific audible human reaction, which is laughter a certain number of times per hour, basically. Whereas humor, you just need to raise an eyebrow and a little low chuckle among the McSweeney's set. <laughs> but Ten years ago, I got put on The Daily Show and everyone presumed I had a stand-up act. And I had a lot of live material about hobos and, you know, presidents with hooks for hands and mole men and stuff. And a lot of confidence that the whole world wanted to hear it. And gradually, as I worked with real stand-up comedians, I kind of, I was like, this is a f amazing craft. And I really want to get better. I want to be me, but I want to get better. Uh, speaking on stage without a net, mm -hmm. more or less. Mm -hmm. 
so that was good, but it's now been 10 years more or less since I got in that game and the, you know, the McSweeney's kids have all grown up. And as I say, there are millennials who don't, don't understand that kind of twee Wes Anderson humor that we were all doing that everyone seemed to get all that cultural reference humor, you know, it was like make a reference to like, you know, sometimes you wouldn't even make a joke. You'd just say the, you know, the words major dad, the TV show, major dad would get a laugh or whatever, or actually that's a bad example because it never got a laugh, <laughs> but, and I tried it, trust me. But there's a lot of times when you could just say Battlestar Galactica and people go, ah, like that. And that's all you needed to do. And right. I say, like, I got tired of that kind of humor, which I won't say is lazy, but it was, you know, I, I wanted to move forward and, and be more honest and straightforward with myself and, and had a lot of creative success doing that but then going out on the road and you know the people who live out in the united states have someone from the daily show coming to see them right and it turns out to be that it's not john stewart right and it's not jessica williams it's now some weird 44 year old dude with a mustache talking about his summer home in maine <laughs> you know you need to work hard to win strangers over with I that see. kind of thing but I can't be anyone else but who I am. Of course. Do you know what I mean? Well, but, I think, you, but it's interesting that you uh, got to that point, or we got to that point, while you're saying that we spend so much of our decades trying to put forth some yeah. other sort of image. And, you know, just having that wisdom, it, it, make, it made me want to ask you, are you more comfortable now? Yeah, yes. I mean, baseline, yes. I mean, here's the thing. At, age is hard. Right. We're about the same age, right? No, no, no. You're younger than me. Yeah. I'll be 35 next month. Oh, forget it. Forget it. You're at the top of your life and I'm dying. <laughs> no, I mean, age is, uh, you know, offers some consolations. When you hit 40, you realize, oh, I don't have to have dinner with these people. You know what I mean? Like, you don't even have dinner with your parents. You're a grown up. <laughs> you know, I like, mean, I, kicked, I started all that early. Like way before I should have all that shit. You know, yeah, I, mean, I took well, my liberties. I took my liberties very young. Yeah, good yeah. for you. Good for you. And it's not just taking a liberty. It's also like I'm a grown up and I can choose how to spend my time. And right. this is something that I enjoy. You start to you start to see kind of for the first time, maybe not in your case, but in mine. Like this is culture that I enjoy, and I'm not going to apologize for. And this is culture that I don't enjoy, and I'm going to stop forcing myself. I can't even think of an example. That's the thing, but I'm, uh, I've been on that train a long time. But that's yeah. it's it's cost me a lot to do that too. I mean, yeah. I can remember when I first got married. Uh, I had the hard, the hardest thing about marriage for me was the combining of families mm -hmm. because there were so many expectations of how I was supposed to behave around these people who I consider strangers, right? And how open I was supposed to be to uh, enjoying them as people are supposed to enjoy. Yeah. family and i'm not like that no i'm not i am very much i do what i like to do mm -hmm. and if somebody puts me in a position where i have to do something i don't like to do and i don't see any benefit for it i'm not going nicely <laughs> you know what i mean i've been right. that way for a long time yeah it's like when you say you don't go nicely like what does that mean well you complain I, it's you not give that people I, a hard time I, it's not that necessarily that i'm i'm not rude Right. But I am I don't appear very welcoming. I don't appear very warm. Yeah. I didn't at first at all. It took me a long time to like realize how just kind of negative that was, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so I try to not be that way. Right. Well, I guess what I just mean to say is that you get a certain amount of uh, wisdom, I guess. <laughs> but it's like, you know, you, you can be a little bit more confident in your decision making it was like, as much as it's in, uncomfortable for me and as much as it's going to 
shoot a hole in the middle of my day when I'm getting ready for a show, I should go to that table read and I will do it. But on the other hand, someone gets a bee in their bonnet that we've got to have drinks. You know, when are we going to get together? And you can actually just say to the person, we're not going to get together because I have two children and a lot of work to do. And I, I just don't have, I've run out of time. It's nothing personal. I hope you don't take it that way. And even if you do, there's nothing I can do about it. And I, and I love you anyway. Goodbye. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, and that being able to just say, no, thank you. You know, like Bartleby the Scriver and I would prefer not to, do you know what I mean? Like it's a really great thing. And age gives you that to some degree, you know, yourself better, you know, the world better. You actually benefit from experience. And that's the consolation you get for getting closer and closer day by day, step by step to the grave, which is, you know, the haunting part of it. (laughs) Mr. Christopher, when did you start working? here oh uh well just today actually he doesn't work here green (laughs) jonathan what are you doing here you maggot we're on to you green and richard and sons 50 miles your restaurant is a fraud and we've got proof how dare you belittle what richard and i built but it was built on a lie everything's built on a lie you idiot that is true jonathan and anyway what proof do you have i'm buying these chickens for my personal use it's a lot of chickens i was gonna tell you i um told somebody I was going to come talk to you today and um, they told me that they thought you were so interesting because they didn't know of a person or couldn't think of another person who had become such a, you know, like a, a brand of, of cultural import as a singular person in the way you have, but there had been little to no backlash. Yeah. I guess you'll have to tell me whether or not that's true from your perspective. It certainly was true from his, but you know, whose perspective? Uh, this was Chuck close to me. Oh, close to me. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, there are people out there who don't dig what I'm doing, and that's fine. Do you course. know what I mean? But I, you're not wrong. I mean, I've been on the alert for a backlash for a number of years. I've been expecting it. Like most people who perform, you believe you are a fraud, and you're just <laughs> you're waiting for them to catch you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yes. And um, I wish I did not, but I do. And. I think I was really asking for it in a way that I didn't appreciate until it was happening, going out on the road, telling stories about New England and advertising it as the white privilege mortality comedy of John Hodgman. Because mm-hmm. even though I'm acknowledging it in that moment and using those words because they're charged and I want people to think about this stuff, I'm thinking about it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. For a lot of people in the audience, they just took that as like their idea. Do you know what I mean? It's like I planted the idea. They maybe never would have thought that I'm some weird white privileged middle-aged dude who's out of out to lunch. Do you know what I mean? But all of a sudden there there was a certain amount of response to that. Right. Luckily, I think there was a much more much greater amount of response to people who who like who liked the show. But do you know like I feel like I was poking a bear right. with that one because I kind of and after the fact I realized and I got some bad reviews as a result. Right. I mean I, and maybe as a result of not being that great. I mean, who knows if this is the other things like maybe, maybe it's maybe I sucked that night. I don't know. I don't think so. I was there, but who knows? But I think what he meant by backlash was kind of like this, a larger macro kind of consumer outcry of we've had enough, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I think that there's two reasons for that. I mean, the baseline one is that I'm not a threat to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm not. There's no other mustachioed uh, white privileged comic who might feel like you're coming for this spot. Not, <laughs> not many who would admit to it. <laughs> there are a lot of truth tellers out there who yeah. aren't telling the whole truth. I Do you know you. what I mean? I but, you. 
But no, I, I think that it's just I'm not successful enough. Right. The scale to be a threat. And no one who's coming up feels the need to push me out of the way. Well, and in, in many ways, because just in terms of comedy, I think that what I'm doing is out of step now. It was in step with what was happening in comedy. I think when I started, there was a lot more absurdist comedy and a right. lot more like Dimitri Martin art comedy. Yeah. yeah. You know, Eugene Merman, Dimitri, mm-hmm. yeah. obviously sort of these inheritors of a Andy Kaufman and like British comedy yeah, perform- vibe performance art. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And no one wants to call it comedy, right? Even right. though you're standing, as Eugene Merman says, I think if you're standing on stage and people are laughing, it seems like it's comedy, <laughs> but you know, no one wants to call it comedy. And now they really don't want to call it comedy because, um, and essentially what happened, I feel is that some very traditional, brilliant stand-up comics are now really of the moment, right. you know? And, and so Louis is an incredible talent and an incredible has been incredibly sweet to me and, and I love him and what he's doing with his TV show is astonishing and incredible. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But a lot of people took the lesson from him that what you have to do is put on a t-shirt and just destroy yourself on stage. Right. And I saw it happen here in New York where all of these younger comedians, overweight dudes, like guys who had purposefully gotten overweight and slobby in order to emulate the Louis. And I'm like, how about everyone just be themselves? Right. You know. Well, when he said what he said about not being a backlash, it made me wonder, since you are in the comedy world but not a stand-up, and stand-up can be such a territorial boys club, had you ever received any kind of like backlash in the community about what you're doing not, not to being my, like pure not, stand-up? Not to my face. Okay. Again, I don't think that I'm a threat. I fear that people would say stuff about me. Mm-hmm. It would be very comedy to say stuff behind my back and not to me. And the other thing, the other problem is like, I'm restless and I, it's interesting to hear Klosterman say that I'm a brand because I think what people think of as the brand. Well, I might've said that he might not. Well, no, but it could be, (laughs) it could be anything. It could be the PC. It could be the deranged millionaire. It could be the resident expert. It could be all these different things like, you know, King nerd. It could be anything. And, and, None of those things feel like me now. Mm-hmm. So I just go out there and disappoint people night after night. <laughs> I'm the great disappointer. Do I'm backlashing against there. myself That's sufficiently. What we do. That's what, I mean, I feel the same way. Honestly, yeah. I feel like I'm always waiting for like a backlash. But there's the truth. I mean, especially in my field, there's the truth of scale. Like I'm, I'm really operating in my own corner and kind of making my own yeah. lane. So nobody who's aware of that is going to be upset with people me. People either right? respect that or they just don't care. Right. Exactly. Right. They either love me or they just don't listen. You know? Yeah. Well, we're going we're gonna to wrap because... Um, we got a sound check. We do. The last thing I was going to ask you, though, uh, if you had one in mind, even in the most abstract sense, what would be like your dream project? Bring back Bored to Death. <laughs> <laughs> you had been to the mountaintop. <laughs> yeah, that was one, you know... That, that was an amazing television show. That program. was an amazing television show. And, you know, now, by the way... Jonathan Ames has created a new show with Patrick Stewart called Blunt Talk. Which I've heard is of it. I haven't seen it yet. Equally, I mean, it's equally amazing, but that's in L.A. Bored to Death was 20 minutes from my house. Right. That's I'm a, I'm a man of comfort. <laughs> right? I, I, I'm a man who appreciates creature comforts. I don't want to I don't want to have to fly to work every day. I think what I would really lo- I mean, my dream, my dream project would be either. I mean, quite honestly, to have an an acting job, comedic or otherwise, in an environment as great as Bored to Death, right? right? As full was, of creatives. Yeah, as and, and that was just a great yeah. set, you know. 
And if that's going to happen, then I'm probably, I'm going to have to make it. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's why there's so many TV shows. Cause everyone can make one now. And I, yeah, and I probably would have to make it. I got a few, Google, a, real, that's three, harsh. a few living Google documents of my own. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But since that's hard, <laughs> I might pull the ripcord and go to my second dream project, which is to move full time to Brooklyn, Maine and make scrambled eggs at the general store. Every okay. Morning. Yeah. That is, that is certainly a left turn, sir. Well, you just don't know how I feel about scrambled eggs. I I'm, clearly do I will not. make scrambled eggs at any time. It's like a, <laughs> it's like I have a neurological disorder. Like dogs will eat food until they die. Right. They don't. They don't. They're not triggered. I will make and eat scrambled. I'm stopping myself every moment that I live. <laughs> That's why in my rider, there better not be eggs or a hot plate in there, or I might not do the show. It's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. This eggs thing yeah. is going to happen. Well, I'll make scrambled eggs for you sometime. You'll see what I'm talking I'll about. I'll certainly take you up on that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking some time with me. Thanks very much for letting me be open and honest on Secret Skin, the podcast of openness and honesty. Thank you for making my tagline forever. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, man. Thank you. So that was my talk with John Hodgman in the green room of the Bell House. And uh, it was really fantastic. It was a joy to talk to him. I was trying to remember how I met him. I think we met on the Twitters first. Like he, like he started following me out of nowhere. And that was a thrill. <laughs> and then um, we met after the last thrilling adventure hour, speaking of thrills here in L.A. Um I went to the bar where all those guys were hanging out and Hodgman was there and um, we struck up a conversation and he was a very cool guy. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the story. Um, this is Secret Skin, folks. Um, send all of your questions, comments, and concerns to omebooking at gmail.com. Gladys will sort them and promptly hand them over to me Um by value of importance of how she's feeling that day. That's kind of how she operates. I've gotten used to it and she's great at what she does. Um, there may be some changes to the show soon. In fact, I'm sure there will be. So, uh, keep your ears to your computer box for that. Um, please go to iTunes and rank and review us. Uh, send us up that iTunes music podcast chart because if i get uh, and if i get in the top 10 i'm getting a um a bonus donut and i'm sharing it with all of you all of you all of you whichever kind of donut you like that's the piece i'm going to give to you this donut is that big i have been promised promised so yeah go ahead rate it and review it on the itunes or the stitchers or if you listen to podcasts, you tell your podcast machine that you like this show. I swear it helps. Support our sponsors, please. Um, helps us keep this going as long as it'll go. Uh, and I'm Open Mike Eagle, and this is Secret Skin, and I will talk to y'all next week. <laughs>